You are listening to You Were Made for This, the podcast to help people of faith find more joy in their relationships. Welcome to You Were Made for This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 53, where today I talk about an inconvenient truth concerning relationships. It was Al Gore who first coined this term, inconvenient truth, related to his view of climate change. Well, without regard to that, there are also inconvenient truths about relationships, and today's episode is about one of them. If you have ever spent any significant time around children, do you remember the times your heart ached for them when they discovered that life can be harsh? Where they experience the sadness of relational pain? When your child's network of friends all get invited to a birthday party except your kid? When a child's favorite pet dies? When all your teenager's friends have been asked to homecoming but not yours? These examples raise the question of, who's going to be there for me when I need them? When children face the harsh reality that people they thought would be there for them don't show up, we call it a loss of innocence. You see this theme in literature all the time. That classic American novel, To Kill a Mockingbird, is a great example. In that story, Scout, the young girl, comes face-to-face with the racism she sees in the adults she had respected in her small hometown in the South. And loss of innocence doesn't stop with childhood. Let me share a story that illustrates this, and then a way we can best deal with this inconvenient relationship reality. We recently visited our daughter in South Carolina. And shortly before we were to head back home, there was a seven-inch snowfall in our hometown of New Berlin, Wisconsin. Prior to that, our son had uh, texted us and asked if we had made arrangements to take care of the snow. And it had completely slipped my mind, and I said no. Well, then he said that he would send um, his son, George, our 18-year-old grandson, over over the next day to, to shovel. I have a snowblower, but I hadn't taken the time to show him how to use it, so he was going to shovel. And I then uh, texted George and told him just to clear a path to the garage for our car. Uh, We have a two-car garage and a two-car driveway, and I said I I would finish the rest uh, with our snowblower when I got home. Well, George texted me, and uh, when he said he had finished shoveling, he said it was some of the heaviest snow I have ever shoveled, but I got it done. Well, good for him. We returned uh, then a few days later, and I stopped over uh, to pay him. I told him I would pay him for for his efforts. He's been saving money for college, and I wanted to help him a little bit. So we had a brief conversation, and uh, you know about some small talk regarding other things, and, and then he brought up this uh, snow shoveling experience again, and he said something along the lines of the following. This is George talking. I was out there a long time shoveling, and after a while, I wondered why none of your neighbors stopped over to ask if they could help. 
I mean, when our neighbor, Mrs. Fabina, was alive, uh, my brother Grant and I would always shovel her driveway. And then our neighbor, Don, across the street, uh, we shoveled the driveway for him. And now that he's passed away, we shovel for his wife. Uh, But none of your neighbors offered to help shovel. Hmm. At least 24 hours had passed since the snowfall ended and all the other driveways in the neighborhood were snow-free, but not ours. The, the tone of George's voice was really genuine surprise that no neighbors offered to help out with the need that another neighbor had. It was so contrary to his experience where he lived just three miles away and that he and his brother and sister were used to. We help our neighbors is a value his parents are passing on to him and raising him with. Now, George wasn't complaining or whining one bit. His comments were just very wistful, and they came across to me as just an observation and reflection upon human nature and with a twinge of sadness to it. You know, my, my heart ached for George that he saw this side of human nature about our neighbors that was so contrary to his own experience. I even briefly thought, well, maybe we should move. (laughs) I know George sees this side of humanity on a daily basis with his peers. He's no stranger to seeing the less flattering side of the human condition. But his surprise with our neighbor's lack of help showed that at 18 years of age, he's lost another measure of childhood innocence. The people you would have thought would have been there for you, other adults, were not. I also sensed he was feeling bad for me, that these were the kind of neighbors we have. My heart ached for his kind and tender heart. George knew what our former neighborhood was like. He saw it firsthand with people like Kevin, who lived across the street. In our former neighborhood, Kevin and I would clear driveways of snow for three neighbors, They were all much older than us. Kevin actually did a lot more than I did. But the two of us pitched in to help out our neighbors. When my mother died in March a number of years ago, we had a late winter snowfall of about three to four inches the day of her funeral. I didn't have time to snowblow the driveway, much less our neighbors, before the service as we had to leave in a hurry. But later that day when we got home, Kevin, or one of our other neighbors, had cleared our driveway of snow. No one asked them to. They just did it. Because in our neighborhood, a snow-covered driveway that went that way for any length of time told people that something was wrong. So they stepped in to help. Getting back to George's observation, I can imagine all kinds of legitimate reasons why people didn't help. If any of them would listen to this podcast, I'm sure they'd have a reasonable explanation for not helping out. Some of them might even be irritated at me for suggesting someone should have helped out. After all, it's not my neighbor's responsibility to keep my driveway clear of snow. The fact I help clear their drive a few times doesn't mean they owe me a return favor. I certainly get that, and that's really just fine. And I don't want to be critical, but I do want to make an observation. And that is, in this one instance with George, 
Our current neighborhood personified what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, too, where he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world, at least in our neighborhood, is not to help others in a jam. Keep to yourself. Take care of number one. Don't extend yourself. That's the behavior and custom of this world. You know, we have really nice people in our neighborhood. There's no conflict that I'm aware of. People are cordial and respectful of one another. And I suspect there are examples of caring and helping others that are going unnoticed by me. I'm pretty sure of that. Nevertheless, my heart still aches a bit for George. And it may very well be that my heart aches more for myself than him. George is a very caring person. You might remember uh, me talking about him in an earlier episode, how even as a first or second grader, he would hold open the door to his school to let teachers and other adults enter before him. And I've noticed in caring people like George and myself and others that every now and then, not often, but every now and then, you start to wonder, when's it going to be my turn? When are people going to care for me the way I care for them? I wonder if that was what George was feeling when he shoveled snow off our driveway a week or so ago. I know this thought crosses my mind every now and then, and it can lead to a sense of sadness really quickly. How then are we to respond to this inconvenient relational reality I describe? It begins with asking God for the wisdom and power to do a number of things. First of all, we need God's wisdom and power to resist the temptation to assign bad motives to people who do not care for us the way we want to be cared for. Everyone has stuff going on in their lives that we are unaware of. We need to cut people some slack. We need to extend grace. Secondly, we need to take to heart Philippians 2.4 and obey the command, Do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Just because people are not caring well for me doesn't mean I need to reciprocate and not care for them. A third thing we can do, and it comes from Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' uh, neighborhood. Um, he, he talks in a documentary about, uh, about his program where he encourages children to, quote, look for the helpers. Now, as adults, we can look for the helpers when we need them and try to be like them, to look for the helpers to be role models whom we can emulate. Another thing we can do is to be a role model for others. The best version of yourself will have a strong component of caring for others. Number five, be courageous and ask for help when you need it. Number six, be okay with the feelings of sadness if they come. Don't minimize or flee from it. Just sit in it for a while, and before you know it, they will pass. Even when people aren't caring for you the way that you had hoped. And as you move forward, you can focus on being a more caring person 
yourself. If you forget everything else, here's the one thing I hope you remember from today's episode. When people you thought would be there for you and they fail to show up, respond with grace. Ask God to help you to be there for others, even if they don't show up for you. Because, after all, you were made for this. Well, as always, I certainly welcome your thoughts about today's episode. Maybe you have something to add to it. We all would love to hear from you. And you can uh, share your thoughts in the leave a reply box at the bottom of the show notes, or you can send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org. And now to conclude with our relationship quote of the week. It goes like this. I don't go by a rule book because I lead from the heart, not the head. And that comes to us from Diana, Princess of Wales. What do you think of that? For me, I can't imagine a dumber thought than this. I don't go by a rule book because I lead from the heart, not the head. You know, if we were to adopt that as a culture, we would not, we would not need the, the Constitution. We would not need uh, laws. We would not need the police department because everybody would be leading from their, from their heart and not their head. What a dumb quote. But I found it in a, in a calendar of all places, and you would think that the man or the woman or the people, the committee that put the calendar together thought that was a good quote. I don't go by a rule book because I lead from the heart, not the head. I was actually kind of embarrassed for the, for the Brits to have someone have said that. And it reminds me of another dumb British quote from Neville Chamberlain in 1938 when he had just met with uh, Adolf Hitler, and he comes back to England and tried to reassure the British people when he said, we have peace for our time. Well, a year later, less than a year later, um, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II began. However, we the Brits do have one saving grace, and that is Winston Churchill, who had many, many wonderful quotes. Uh, I can't think of any offhand uh, Oh, wait a minute. Here, here's one from Carol. She slipped me a note. Yeah, she said, tell them tell the preposition story. Yeah, Carol used to teach English like I did, so we get off on this kind of stuff. But anyway, there was a story of, of, of Churchill when uh, he was um, making some kind of a speech, and one of the um, people, members of parliament criticized him because she said he ended his uh, sentence in a preposition, which in those days you weren't supposed to do. That's actually changing now, but anyway, she was very upset about that. He ended his sentence uh, with a preposition. So he wrote back, he, he responded, I think it was on the radio, he said, This is an outrage up with which I shall not put. This is an outrage up with which I shall not put. Well, enough grammar for today. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.